once again and ask Him to bless this time. Father, we come to You asking that You would minister to us through Your Word. That You would open our hearts and our ears and our eyes to see exactly what's going on in this text. That we would walk away blessed. Thank You for this opportunity. Speak now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 29. We come to the story of Jacob and Rachel. It's ironic, I think, that we have landed on this chapter. Last week, Genesis chapter 22, do you remember Isaac, Abraham and Isaac? Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Remember laying it on the altar. Remember we were talking about laying things on the altar in our lives. Very interesting. I, just to see that the next text we're looking at, they're like the most well-known chapters that we I mean, see in the Bible. So many, so many people know these stories and understand them so well. Especially Genesis chapter 29. I know the girls are really into this chapter because, right? Because you see Jacob doing something really interesting here. Working to get his wife. But you see Jacob, here in uh, verse 1, you know, we'll just start reading together. Let's just do that. Let's just start in verse 1. Read up to verse 4. Genesis chapter 29, verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came into the, into the land of the people of the east. And he looked, and behold, a well in the field. And lo, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks, and a great stone was upon the well's mouth. And what... And thither where all the flocks gathered, and they rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the sheep, and put the stone again upon the well's mouth in its place. And Jacob said unto them, My brethren, where do you be? And they said, A barren are we. Stop there. So, what happens here? Jacob is traveling to go and find a wife, okay? He is looking for a wife. He is traveling around looking for a wife. And his father has told him to go to this land where his, his brother is, Laban. And so he wants him to go here so that, what? He'll find himself a wife within the family, not outside in the world. You know, here's a great little picture. Gosh, we'll just stop. Looking for a wife, looking for a mate. Looking for a mate. It's very important that when you look for that certain someone, that you look for that person that you're waiting for or seeking after to be married with one day, that you're not seeking outside of the family, I guess I want to call it. Not seeking out the family of God, that is for sure. Why? Four things that my high school teacher shared with me that I'll never forget and I'll share with you again. Mr. J. Mr. J. (laughs) Mr. Johnson, if you're listening, thank you. Four things. Four things you ought to look for. Number one, or four things you must have established before you should get married to this person. Number one is family. You want to make sure that the families are great together because you know and I know you just watch television and movies and all the rest. The mother-in-law, the father-in-law relationship is pounded on each other, bumped out on the couple. They don't like so-and-so. You just... When Christmas time comes around, you know, there's family tension and all the rest. Very important to establish. Number two, friends. You've got to be best friends. Best friends. Close friends. Not, not, well, you know, we're cool. We just, you know, we hang out. We have a good time. I like them. No, no, best friends. Closer than anyone. Really able to pour out your heart and spend time with them. Number three, finances. 
like, Josh, come on, you don't need to say, hey, Mr. J said it. I'm just saying it. Listen, he said, he said finances, and this is why. I believe that money is one of the biggest reasons why people, a lot of people get divorces today and why have people have money, they have money problems and they argue about it and this and that. You know, we should be established, we should be saving here, we should be spending here when Christmas time comes around, holidays or birthdays and the kids and all the rest. I'm not married so I don't know, but I'm just speaking from what Mr. J was telling me. And number four, faith. You've got to have the same faith. You've got to be on the same level. You've got to be on the same page spiritually. Seeking after the King together, challenging one another. These things are important. And if you're not doing these things or looking for these things and making sure these things are established, there will be problems, I promise you that. But what about waiting or even looking for? I like the word waiting for. Adam, remember when God brought Adam, Eve, what happened? He was sleeping. That's when he brought He was asleep. If Adam would have went looking for a mate, what would he have found? Only a monkey or something like that. And so too, if you go looking for a mate, that's exactly what you're going to find. If you go seeking or chasing after or trying to, I want to, you're going to find an ape. You're going to be all pumped out. Don't stop there with that. But, but listen, go to sleep. Be at rest. Wait on the king. Go to sleep as Adam did, and the Father will bring you that perfect mate, that's for sure. So same here. The time came when it was time for Jacob to go and seek after his mate that his father had told him to. So he did. He went looking. And it's just an amazing story. You know, Jacob here in verse 1, you see, he comes up to the people of the east. Notice that he had traveled 400 miles already. 400 miles. That's about from here to Utah. Walking. Think about that. Could you walk from here to Utah to the long ways? I was thinking, I remember at junior high, I ran like a seven-minute mile or something like this. That was, like, that was okay. It was semi-fast. You know, seven-minute mile. And I was thinking, like, how long would it even take to run that far? I mean, he must be completely exhausted when he gets to this point. Tired out, sweaty. Just exhausted from the trip, just trying to find this place apparent. And finally he does there in verse 4. It says, he said to the brethren, where do you come from? And he said, we are from Herod. And so he's stoked. He's excited because he's found the place his father's told him about. I mean, his mother's told him about. In verse 5, let's move on. He said unto them, know ye Laban, the son of Nahor? Or do you know Laban? And they said, we know him. And he said unto them, first, is he well? And they said, he is well, and the old Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, Lo, is it yet high day? Neither is there time the cattle should be gathered together. Water you the sheep, and go and feed them. And they said, We cannot until the flocks be gathered together, till they roll the stone from the well's mouth, and then we water the sheep. We'll stop there. So what happens? He walks up, he's like, Are you guys from Aaron? He's like, they're like, Yeah, we're from Aaron. He's like, Do you know Laban? Yeah, we know Laban. And look, there's his daughter coming right now with sheep, or with Laban's sheep. And so he's like, okay. I bet he could probably see her. Maybe he's heard, or he can see from a distance this girl is beautiful, or just period, there's a girl coming. And maybe he thinks this is the one, you know, this is the one I've been waiting for. So what does he do? He tries to tell the guys, like, hey, you know, why don't you water your sheep and get out of here? You know, and like, 
they're like, no, no, we don't water the sheep until all the sheep are together, you know, and I'm sure the guys had known about Rachel and how beautiful she was and how drop-dead gorgeous, so they're just like, we can't wait to water the sheep together, you know, they're all stoked on watering sheep with Rachel. That's what they did back in those days, it's like, you don't go on dates, you water sheep together, you know, it's like, alright, that's so funny. But, but they're waiting, to, they're waiting to water the sheep. How did they do it? There was a giant well, right? And there was this, this huge stone on top of it, and they would push the stone off and on, and have the sheep come and be watered, and they would put it, cover it back up. Now watch what happens here. Rachel's coming, Jacob's standing there, the sheep are coming, and there's these herdsmen with three sheep, I mean three herds of sheep there. So look at verse 10. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Whoa, stop there, verse 10. This is crazy. Okay, remember, he just walked 400 miles. Okay? Now, a, a massive rock on top of this well, which would probably take multiple men to move, what does he do? He sees Rachel coming. He's probably just like standing in the distance, just, you know, kicking in, you know, this and that on the well. And, and all the herdsmen over here, and they see Rachel coming, and also he's like, snap, that girl's beautiful, you know? And so he's, he's looking at her, and what does he do? Instantly, he sees the sheep coming. He knows that she's coming to water them. He runs over, grabs the stone, and throws it off. No doubt he's trying to show off in front of the lady, huh? Many of us guys do we have push-up competitions and pull-up competitions. Anyways. But this is what happens here. He comes and he throws the rock off the well and waters all of her sheep. Interesting to note. That, do you remember back in chapter 20... Chapter 24. Yes. Verse 10 through 20. You know what? I think we might even take a look at that. Let's go back. Let's go back to chapter 24 real quick. Flip a couple pages to the left. Go back to chapter 24, verse 10. So, what did I just establish here? In verse 10, Jacob waters Rachel's sheep. Now, let's look back to chapter 24, starting at verse 10. Are you ready? And the servant took ten camels, ten of the camels of his master, and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia, unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of that event, the evening. Even the time that the woman go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it, pass, let it come to pass that the damsel who... I shall say, let her down thy pitcher, and I pray thee that I may drink. She shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. But the same be that you hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto thy master. Stop there. What is he doing? What's happening here? The story goes like this. Abraham sends off his servant to go find a wife for Isaac. So Isaac is just chilling back at home, and there's a servant goes out with ten camels to go and find a wife for Isaac. Okay, if you're thinking, Josh, I'm not getting this. Just listen. The servant comes to this well, and he prays to God and says, God, let the next woman that comes 
when I say to her, you know, give me some water, that she would give me water and then feed the camels. And so he praises to God and asks because he's trying to seek, again, a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. So the servant has gone out to find a wife. And he comes in this well, and look what happens. Verse 15. And it came to pass before he had been done speaking, or done praying, that behold, Rebekah came out, was born of Bethuel, son of Micah, the wife of Nabor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher on her shoulder, and the, and the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well, and filled her pitcher, and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me drink of the water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, Lord. She hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done, been done giving him water, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have been done drinking. And she hasted and emptied her pitcher into the trough and ran again into the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. Okay, now you're saying, Josh, that's a lot of reading. Why'd you just do that? Listen, stay tuned. Don't miss this. So again, the scene's set. Servant has come to find what? A wife for Abraham's son. He's standing there, he prays to God. God, next woman that comes with water in her hand, let me cry out to her and say, hey, can I have some water? And if she gives me water and then, and then gives water to the camels also, that's the one. And so what happens? He's sitting there. As he's praying, Father, please send me a woman that will be a wife for him. There's, there's Rebecca. There she comes. She's walking up right now. The woman, as he's praying, the father answers his prayer. And all of a sudden, she's coming up with her pitcher of water, and she lets it down. And he runs to her real fast and says, Hey, can I have some water, please? She says, Of course. She reaches down her hand and gives him water. And then, without him even saying anything, what does she do? She goes and starts giving water to his camels. Now, how many camels? Ten camels. Ten camels. We rode camels for like four hours in Israel. These guys are... Hogs. That's, I mean, they're, they're massive. They're huge. And who knows how much water these I mean, guys can drink. It's just crazy. So what does she do? She starts running back and forth, it says. And she fills up the thing and comes and brings water to all the camels. And water, it's amazing. Amazing picture of servanthood. I can't, I can't even believe it. A woman running and watering all these camels for this man. Absolutely amazing. Now, why have you brought this picture to the table? Because it's the exact same thing in chapter 29 that we see Jacob doing now for who? His future wife. We see him now giving water to all the sheep. His mother gave water to all the camels. He is now giving water to all the sheep there in chapter 29. We get into a lot of other applications, but we won't. We'll just move on in our text. But a great parallel. I wonder if you learned that from his mother. His mother's like, Jacob... If you find that wife, make sure that you run to be a servant to her and you bless her and you bow before her and you minister unto her to the best of your ability. Men, we do love the wife as Christ loves the church. He laid himself down for the church and died for the church and we should be willing to do the same. And so too with the women, wives submit to your husbands as the church of Mr. Christ in the same way. 
an amazing picture of the way we willingly submit to Christ. Why? Because He is so amazing, so awesome, so gracious, so loving. Of course we want to. Of course we don't have to be told to. We do it anyways. Because we have an awesome God. But let's move on here. The picture, Jacob now watering the sheep. I believe we are in, yes, we're at verse 10. He waters all the sheep, and then what does he do in verse 11? Random, random, and Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. He cried. It's like, here you go. Okay, he runs over to the rock. He throws the rock off the well, okay, starts watering her sheep and runs up and just lays one on her. And then he starts crying. Random. Now, now, see, a lot of Bible scholars, looking this up, a lot of Bible scholars think that this means 
maybe she had blue eyes because that, that's kind of a random thing in, in that day and age and that culture. So she wasn't, and that's, since it's not a favorite thing, it's not like a more looked upon thing because it's kind of different than everybody else. So maybe that, or, or possibly she had a hard time seeing because she was tender eyed. We don't really know, but I think it was, I mean, it says that right after, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favored, that Leah being tender-eyed is maybe is like, it was hard to look at her. You know, you're tender-eyed when you look at her. You know, like, straight up, just, you know, just say she was hard to look at. I mean, she was definitely not as beautiful as Rachel, her younger sister. It, it says there. But Leah was tender-eyed, whatever that means, maybe hard to look at. But uh, let's, let's move on here to... Uh, Go on here in verse 18, read the 20. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Abide with me or stay with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to be unto him but a few days for the love he had for her. So what happens? So he says, Hey, alright, I got my price. I want Rachel. I want the beautiful one. Hook it up. I'll work for you for seven years for that girl. Man, I wonder if guys these days would make commitments like that. Hey, Papa, I'll work for you for seven years for your lady, for your daughter. I bet guys would just, I mean, fathers would go crazy. Seven-year commitment before marriage. Absolutely amazing. Jacob worked seven years for her, and it seemed only but a few days because of the love he had for her. This is a phrase I think that every chick, sorry, girl, probably is blown away by in the Bible. It seemed only but a few days to him. Can you imagine? Seven years of hard labor in the field, but it only seemed a few days. Like every single day he's probably thinking about Rachel and, and dreaming about her and just, oh, I can't long for the day. And seven years only seemed like a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Amazing. Why? Why? Because of the love he had for her. He actually ends up working 14 years for her. We'll see in the text here. 14 years. But why would seven years only seem like a few days? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what? That love is patient. Love is patient. Love will wait. Love does wait. The patience of love. It's, just, it's, it's an amazing thing to think. To really have patience like that, to be able to wait for somebody for seven years and to be faithful. Working that field day in and day out. Maybe he saw her at a distance, but he waited and he was patient. And it came to him eventually. But I just want, to, want you to listen to this. I have this kind of little phrase that I got from one of my favorite teachers. He said something like this. Love gives that patience. Love gives, lust takes. Love waits and lust won't. Love is patient. Lust is pressure. Lust says now, and love says no. This thing of, this kind of trendy thing of true love waits that was kind of going around for a while there, is, you know, it actually has a whole lot of meaning to it. And I'm going to just touch on this just briefly. I don't want to make everybody just like go crazy, but just listen. Lust and love. Two completely different things. Look, lust is what the world has created in our minds of this thing of sex and, and, and marriage and 
this whole portrayal in movies and, and the TV screen and all the rest, it almost seems like the sexual part of things is like a uh, like sharp and rigid and really hard and, and sick sometimes and kind of disgusting. But I believe that God has created sex to be in a marriage a warm fireplace, a teddy pair to cuddle up next to, something wonderful and sweet and amazing. And this thing, this difference between love and lust is, is huge. Because if you truly do love someone, you can wait for them. You can, you can put forth that time and effort. And even if people have messed up in this area, listen, you can still promise to someone and say, you know what, I will be faithful to you to wait for you for seven years. I'll be faithful to wait for you until the time comes. I'm not going to mess in that department. I'm not going to fall in this place. Brothers, even with things on the computer or the internet, stay away. That stuff will destroy you. Why? Because you start looking at these things and thinking these things, and then guess what? When your wife does not live up to these expectations that you place in your own mind, then you look down on her. So why does she look like this? And this is very important to stay focused on love, being patient and slow and waiting, as Jacob did here. Amazing. Jacob loved Rachel. He really did. And he was willing to do anything. He really did lay down his life in, in such a way that we don't see in this day and age. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be awesome if this group here, you guys, me too, that we really tried to exercise this within our lives? Just us. Do you understand what an impact we can make on so many people around us? When they see the way that we love, when they see the way that we care and that we are patient, an example that we could set for all around us, not so we can boast on ourselves and look at me, look what I do. No! But that we can help people out. Set an example for our friends around us and say, man, I want to be like that. You guys are awesome. Please come and minister unto us or share with us what, what's your secret, what is it? This love that you speak of. Not love or fast or quick, but very patient and slow. Let's move on here. I'm going to finish this up. Try to. Verse 21 we are at. So Jacob has finished what? Working for Rachel. He's worked seven years and he has seemed only a few days. Look what happens. He comes to Laban. And Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him. And he went in unto her. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah, Zilpah, his maid for a handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laman, What have you done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, I must not be so, It must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. We'll stop there. So what happens? 
Oh, man. Jacob works for seven years to get his wife, the one he's been dreaming about every day, like, oh, she's so beautiful. I can't wait. I kissed her once. I can't wait to kiss her again. What happens? That wedding night comes, and he probably gets a little tipsy or who knows what. I know that in those those days, in those times, they wore big veils, and they were completely covered from head to toe, the women were. So he probably didn't see or know what was going on, and so he brought... Leah, Laban, what happened? Jacob's like, ready, okay, where's my wife? Here you go. Gives her Leah. Remember the tender-eyed one, the one that's kind of hard to look at? And so he goes and, well, he spends the night with her. Let's just say that honeymoon time. And he wakes up in the morning and says, whoa, you know, what's going on here? Uh, I didn't work for you. I worked for Rachel, the beautiful one. What's going on? So he runs to his father and says, hey, hey. This isn't fair. You told me that you would give me Rachel. I worked seven years for you, man. What's the deal? And Laban pulls a fast one. He says, hey, it's custom. We always give the older one before we give the younger. You should have known that. That's just the way the cookie crumbles, my friend. He's bummed. Reminds me of something else. You remember Jacob, our old friend, the heel catcher, his name means. Do you remember... He duped his brother Esau. He went up to his brother Esau that one day in the field. Esau was all starving and, and all tired from not being out there in the field. Remember Esau, hairy, beast. He comes out from the field, and what happens? He comes up to Jacob. Jacob's like cooking some porridge. You know, he's being a little girl cooking in the kitchen. And as Jacob was, he was the sissy of the family. And so he comes up, and, and he's like, I'm hungry. Give me some porridge. I'm hungry. And he's like, okay, hey, hey. Esau, you want some food? Give me your birthright. Give me your birthright. Let me be called the oldest. Let me be called the firstborn. And I'll give you support. He's like, fine, whatever. Who cares? Birthright, schmirthright, whatever. You know, he just, so what does he do? He gives him his birthright, and he eats the porridge. He dupes him. He worked his brother, and then also he works his father. Do you remember the story? In uh, chapter 27, I think it was. Remember? He comes, he comes to his father, also Isaac, and he disguises himself as his brother Esau to receive the blessing. And he walks in, and his mom had cooked up some porridge and some good food, because, well, Isaac wanted some food. And he says, you know, before I get the blessing, go and cook me up a great meal. And then I'm going to come, and I'm going to bless you. So he, he puts the, the goat fur and all this animal fur on him to make sure he's like his brother Esau, because Esau's supposed to be getting the blessing. But he comes, and he dupes his father. His father's eyes are weak, and he can't see. So he comes in, and with the fur on, and the porridge, and, Father... You know, here's the porridge, and he's like, you don't sound like Esau. He's like, but you smell like Esau, and you, you feel like Esau, and, you know, that's the porridge that I like. And so what does he do? He takes the blessing also from his brother. He dupes his brother twice and his father once. And now what's happening here in Genesis chapter 29, we see what? Laban duping Jacob, serving him a dish. Hey, sorry, buddy. You worked for seven years, but hey, it's just custom. You should have known that, man. That's the way it works in this land. You come into our land, you've got to go by our ways. And so he says, hey, you got to take Leah. And he's like, okay, fine, whatever. So he takes Leah. And then what happens in verse 27? Let's take a look. Verse 27, fulfill her week, and we will give thee also for the service which you shall serve with me yet seven other years, or seven more years. Jacob did so and fulfilled her weeks, and he gave Rachel his daughter 
to his wife also. We'll stop there. Seven years, seven more years. So this is what happens. He takes Leah. He's sitting there. He's like, Laban, this is whack. Why'd you do this to me? Laban's like, okay, look at this. You work for me another seven years, you can have Rachel too. You got it, man. Whatever you want. He's like, okay, I'll work another seven years. And he does. Fourteen years he worked for this chick. Amazing. The love he had for her was far and beyond. Maybe a lot of times what we see today in Hollywood and all the rest. Seven, fourteen years of working. People don't even stay together fourteen months, fourteen days, let alone fourteen years of working to chase after this woman. Amazing. But I want you to see here, I didn't point it out, but I want to real quick. This is what the devotional was about today. Laban duped Jacob, gave him Leah. Jacob duped his father and his brother back in 27 and 24, I think. What goes around comes around. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 7, it says, A man, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. You reap what you sow. What does that mean, Josh? Hey, you do bad, bad's going to come to you, my friend. You do good, good's going to come to you. It's simple. Family, listen up. It's simple, it's basic, it's easy to understand. You do good in life, you're going to reap good. You do bad in life, you're going to reap bad. Straight up. The easiest equation you've ever seen. So know this. When you sin, you're going to get worked. Every time. I promise you that. When you do good, you're going to be blessed. I promise you that every single time. Jacob, two times, man, he ripped people off of a birthright and a blessing. And guess what? He just got ripped off seven years of work for this girl. He reaped what he sowed. And so too with us. We can reap what we sow real quick, real fast. I say this phrase to you all the time, but I want to say it again. Sin is always, the repercussions of sin are always greater than what you can handle. You think, oh, I can sin, I can mess up, I can do this, I can say this about her, or think this about him, and mess around here, or take that, or be a little dishonest here. You're going to get worked. I promise you that. I used to, back in, I think it was in high school, man, I used to steal like so much stuff. Don't anymore. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But I used to, I used to steal all the time. And guess what? I never got caught once. Never. Not even once. Like, snap, Josh, bragging on your thief skills. No, no, not at all. Because this is what happened. Look at this. I thought it was so smooth and I could get away with so much stuff and I watched, you know, just trying to find ways around everything. And this is what happened. I didn't get caught, but guess who did? Two of my brothers, my younger brothers, both followed after me. And one got caught in a store and the other one got caught twice. Once in a store, he got arrested. The other time he got caught breaking and entering into an RV. And he got sent to jail, man. He served time. Like, I mean, for like, I think it was a couple days he was in there. But then he got it. My dad went and got him. And he was on probation for like the next two years. Because he followed after me. And it broke my heart more than me getting caught. I was so bummed. Like, ah, man, my brother followed after me. And he just did the things that I did. And thinking he'd get away. And he got caught. I wish I could have went to jail for him. I wish I could have served the time, but I couldn't. He had to take the blow, and it stopped him from getting jobs. It stopped him from getting, moving forward in life. It was a bummer. And so know this. You're going to reap it somehow. Stay away from it. Sin will burn you and mess you up. You want to know what sin does to you? Look at the cross. 
See that cross? Do you think that before you know it, you keep sinning, you keep messing up, you're going to be a bloody mess before you know it? Every time you sin, it's like cutting yourself and you start bleeding to death. You'll be weak and weary and wonder why things aren't going right in this life for you. Because you're running down the wrong path. Make the right decision to serve after God. Jacob worked another seven years and he got Rachel. We're going to close it up here now. We're going to finish this up. Laban, Laban gave to Rachel in verse 29 his daughter and Bilhah his sound maid to be her to be her maid. And he went to Rachel and he loved her. He loved Rachel more than Leah and served with him yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. She didn't have kids. And Leah conceived and bare a son. She called his name Reuben. For she said, Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Because the Lord has heard I was hated, he has therefore given me a son. And she called his name Simon. Verse 34, And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. Verse 35, And she conceived again and bare a son. And she said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah and left barren. It's amazing. What happens here? You know what Jacob ends up with at the end of this chapter? Four women. Four. What are you talking about, Josh? He ends up with Leah, remember the first one that was given to him, but also his, her handmaid, her servant. Then he also ends up with Rachel. He works another seven years, gets Rachel, and what? Gets her handmaid also. So now he has four women in the house. This is polygamy. And this is wrong. This is wrong before the eyes of God. And you see, there's a big problem here. Huge problem in this chapter. What happens? You see in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated. What? Hated? Hated. By who? Her sister? I don't think so. By Jacob. Maybe he had been with her all those seven years and just like, eh, I don't want whatever, you know, I just want Rachel. Finally gets Rachel, and now he just loves on Rachel and hates on Leah. Now listen, the New Testament tells us, Jesus says that what? A man can't serve two masters, he will love one and hate the other. And I believe Jacob here, with this polygamous relationship, he's got four women in the house, these women that he's taken under his wing, and I don't know if he's trying to love them or what's happening, he's obviously not Leah. He's definitely just taking from her and taking from her with sex. And what's happening? She gives him four kids, and every single time, if you look at the names of these children, you go and do some study on those names, you'll see that each time she is trying to do something to impress Jacob. Like, oh, if I give him another baby, then maybe he'll love me. Then maybe he'll be joined to me. Then maybe he'll be satisfied with me. But time and time again, he isn't. He doesn't even care. And finally, with the last kid, she names his name, what? Judah, and praises God. The name to praise God. I love the ending of this chapter. Why? Because I see grace. We're going to close in this. 
Jacob has four women. And he has babies with all of them. A polygamous relationship. More than one wife. Wrong in the eyes of God. But look what God does. This is the grace of God. Jacob had four women total. And twelve sons were born through these four women. Twelve sons. Twelve sons were born through these four women. And guess who these twelve sons will represent? The twelve tribes of Israel. What? God, why would you take this messed up family? Why would you take up this messed up man who has four women, who doesn't even love one, I mean, doesn't even care? And you're going to turn his children into the twelve tribes of Israel that will make up the nation of God. Israel means governed by God. Amazing. And why is this amazing? This is why. Because you know what? You and I are the ones maybe with the polygamous families or the four women or four things in our lives that are really not right and not doing what they're supposed to do. But guess what? The Father in His grace will still do amazing things in your lives despite what you've done wrong. If you saw who I was, if you see who I am even today, if I could pull back my ribcage and you could see this heart, you would see this is not a faithful man that maybe I testify as standing here as a speaker. This is a man who says sin on his hands. I mess up just as you. Why do I get this privilege to speak to the people? Why do I get this opportunity to lead and worship? Why has he produced 12 tribes in me? I don't know why. Except for he must love me or something. He must just be a gracious God, a wonderful king that I will serve forever because he's so good to me. And he is good to you in this way, in the same way. We have a great king. All of us have committed treason against him. And he should be yelling at us, off with your head. But he does not say that. He says, get over here, let me give you the signet ring and the crown. You come and have your way today in the king. You come and serve my army. Please be a general. Please come and serve. But Lord, I've turned against you 20 times. I keep going to the enemy and hanging out with them and being part of their crowd. It's okay. You come right back on in. I forgive it. Forgive it again. How many times has God forgiven you? Four? Eight? Twelve? Twenty-four times? Four hundred times? He's done the same for me. I hope that this would be motivation for us. Not that you have to serve God and follow after Him, but that you would want to, that you would desire to walk in His ways. If you love me, you obey my commands. Not, if you love me, I'm going to beat you. You better obey my commands. No, he says, hey, if you love me, just like a man loves his wife or a wife loves her man, I love him and I love obeying his commands. I love blessing him and serving him. Do you understand? Walk away with the grace of God in your heart tonight. Live for Him tonight as you go to sleep. Live for Him tomorrow when you wake up. Be that woman or man that rises up and people look at your life and say, Snap, what's going on? They're living for the King like never before. They follow after this Jesus guy. And I just want to know who He is. Because, man, I want to follow too. I want to be a part of that army, a part of that kingdom.
Let's pray. Let's pray, and what I'm going to pray over us, Rome, right now, and I want you to agree with me, I'm just going to pray that the Father would stir in our hearts, that the Father would work in us tonight, the passion and the desire to really want to live for Him and walk for Him daily and spending time with Him, that the Father was really stirring, hey, I need it too, I'm telling you, I get weary in this week also. We all got life to deal with, okay? And we need the Father to work on our lives in such a way that will motivate us and encourage us. Amen? So let me pray that for you. Let me pray that over us right now. God, we come to you asking tonight, are are you here in this place, Lord? Do you hear our prayers? Lord, I come to you asking that you would speak to these people here that the words that have been spoken, that you would continue to work in their heart deep within as they drive home tonight, that you, Lord, would motivate us to make a stand for you and to live good and to live righteous and live holy lives before you. To really be blown away by your grace. Do you know who we are? God, do you know what we've done? Why are you such a good king? Why do you keep accepting us back? We slap you in the face with the way that we live. We walk away from you. But you still welcome us back with open arms. What a gracious God. And because of this, we want to serve you. So please stir in us passion. Stir in us hearts that want to live for you. And be different from the rest of this world. That people look into our eyes and see you, Jesus. They would see something different. And they would long to be close to you because of the way we live. So God, we give you our lives tonight. If there's anything you need, you please speak to us. Every single one, please, I, I just ask you as I pray this, that you would open your hearts, that you would say to God within your own heart, I'm willing to give myself to you and dedicate myself to you and whatever you need, you let me know, God. Please just say that in your heart. Father, we come to you again. If there's anything you need, we're here to give our lives up to you, to live for you, to lay our lives down for you want to serve you and bless you because you've been so gracious to us, Father. We love you, Lord. Bless these. Take care of these this week. Provide for these this week. Heal if there's problems, situations. Lift these people up into your hands, God, and I thank you that you're going to pull through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And I trust the Father is going to do a work in you this week. Me too.